Hey, my name is PJ Nolan. I'm the lead pastor of Collective Church. We are a community of real people in Saline County, Arkansas, seeking to know God and to make Him known. We hope as you visit our podcast that you will find the messages inspiring, practical, but most importantly, biblical. Hey, let's go ahead and jump into the scriptures together. Um, I'm excited to start a brand new message series with you today. Looking forward to studying the Word of God with you for another year here at the church. I'm very, very excited about this series, though. Uh, This series is titled Hearing God, and it is a study on the Bible. A study on the Bible. The, The title of today's message is The Nature of the Bible. The Nature of of the Bible. Over the next few weeks, as we do a series on the Bible, uh, next week we'll be talking about the communication of the Bible. Uh, and then the weeks after that, there will be a, a message broken up into two parts on the benefits of the Bible. Uh, but today we want to lay some groundwork for this series by just talking about the nature of the Bible. Uh, believe it or not, the Bible does have a nature. Um, And one of the reasons we know it has a nature to it is because, uh, as one scripture states that we will read here in just a few minutes, is it's living and it's active. And so the Bible has a nature to it. It's a very fascinating book. Um, I'm excited to talk about this with you today. I graduated high school in 2004. Graduated high school in 2004. And I'll never forget the next six to eight months after graduating high school, as I look back on my life, um, it was one of the more confusing, uh, more challenging seasons of my life. Uh, a lot of the friends that I had in high school that I was close to, they moved away and went off to various universities and colleges. Uh, some other friends that I had that stayed close to home, like I did and went to community college, they were beginning to do things and get into things that I didn't want to be involved in. And we're making choices that I didn't want to make. And so I avoided that crowd. And all of a sudden, I just kind of found myself, felt like I was drifting. Um, I began college uh, at a community college, Trinity Valley Community College, uh, in the North Texas area in fall of 2004. And I was on track to eventually become a firefighter. And uh, back then, I don't know how it is now, but back then, it was very difficult to get into Fire Academy in the Dallas area. Guys were just stacked up trying to get in. And so Trinity Valley Community College offered a program called uh, Fire Science and Technology. And it was a two-year program. You could go through it. And if you had that on your resume and applied for Fire Academy, it would give you a leg up to be able to get in. So I decided I was going to go and get a degree in Fire Science uh, and Technology. And listen... Uh, four months, five months into that, uh, just didn't have any peace. Um, I was restless. I was depressed. I was anxious. Um, I wasn't sure what was next for my life. During that time period, I went through three different jobs, uh, worked landscaping. Um, I actually did enjoy that job a bit. I got tired of it, though, and then I decided, you know what? Uh, my dad at the time, he had a carpet cleaner, a professional size grade carpet cleaner, steam cleaner. And I decided I was going to start my own carpet cleaning business. And I'll never forget during that time, I made up these flyers that I was going to go pass out uh, in in neighborhoods and hoping that people would call me to clean their carpets. And uh, during that time, Lauren actually went with me one day on a Saturday, and we went into some neighborhoods in Mesquite, Texas, and put flyers on doors for, for me to be able to clean people's carpets. Didn't get a single call. Never got a call. So I was like, okay, I got to get a job somewhere. Um, 
I got a job at Home Depot. And um, one of the things about me that's unique is I don't do well being confined. Um, I'm kind of on the go a lot. I move around a lot. I don't stay in one place for very long. Home Depot about drove me nuts. Um, They assigned me to an aisle, an aisle. I had to spend an eight-hour shift on an aisle. And, And of all places, they put me in millwork. Do I look like a guy that knows anything about millwork? No, I didn't like a guy that did back then either, okay? I lasted at Home Depot for less than a month. Uh, I went on from there, and I got a job at UPS. Listen, talk about feeling trapped. Uh, UPS put me, they started me out on the graveyard shift, and they put me in a trailer uh, loading and unloading boxes for six to eight hours. Talk about feeling trapped. Dark, dirty trailer in the graveyard shift. Man, I became depressed wasn't sure what God had for me. And I'll never forget Christmas of 2004. Christmas came around. Uh, My mom handed me a gift on Christmas Day, and she said, uh, I'm excited to give this gift to you. I opened it up, and inside the gift was this Bible right here. And I'll never forget, at that point in my life, 18 was just days away from turning uh, 19 years old. And at that point in my life, I remember thinking, really? Really? (laughs) You got me a Bible for Christmas. And to be honest with you, though, as the days passed, uh, I had tucked this Bible away in the top drawer of my dresser back then. The days passed, and I found myself continually restless, without peace, bummed out, depressed, wasn't sure where my life was going to go. And it was like the Lord drew me to his word. I went over to that dresser, I opened up the top drawer, and I pulled this Bible out. And... I don't encourage people often to just open it up randomly and pick a verse and start there. But back then, that's what I did, and that's all I knew what to do. I opened it up, and it took me where the first place I looked was Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. So days away from turning 19, I was confused, had no purpose, I was aimless. And I continued reading this passage, and you get down to Matthew 6, and it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. That Matthew 6, I'll never forget it. I said, Lord, I don't know what it means or what it looks like to seek your kingdom above all else. But I made a commitment in that moment. I said, God, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do my best to see what that means. And from that point on, my life began to change. I believe God speaks. And I believe that night, late December of 2004, God spoke to me through Matthew chapter 6 when he encountered a young man that was without purpose, without peace, and wandering aimless, and he said to me, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you. Friends, as we walk into this series, into this new year, I want you to know God is a God that speaks. He desires to communicate with you. Um, The Lord wants to speak to you not just today, but tomorrow and the next day and all of this year and beyond. 
I love the way uh, Rich, or Henry Blackaby states it in his book, Experiencing God. Blackaby says, God speaks. He speaks by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, through prayer, circumstances, and the church to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. God speaks. I love the various ways that God speaks to us, but for the next few weeks, beginning today, we want to talk about how God speaks to you and I through his word, through the scriptures. I want you to know, I don't have any problem with people reading many good Christian books written by reliable Christian authors. I think that's important. I have a whole collection of books. In fact, Lauren teased me a few weeks ago, and she said, we're constantly looking for a place to put all of your books. Um, I love guys and gals that have gone before us and done the research and have written solid material. Um, But we should never be so caught up in Christian books that we neglect the book. That we neglect the book. And here's why. Look at what Tony Evans, Pastor Tony Evans, says about the Bible. He says, no other book on earth can compare with the Bible. No other book on earth can compare with the Bible. It stands apart from and is unique among all other books and so-called sacred writings. And because it alone is the very word of God with the power to transform individual lives and entire cultures. God speaks, and one of the primary ways that he does is through his word. Let's take the rest of our time together now to talk about the nature of the Bible, the nature of the Bible. Let's first talk about how the Bible is unique. Number one, the Bible is unique. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. The Bible is unique. Let me ask you a question this morning. When you hear the words, Holy Bible, what comes to your mind? When you hear the words, Holy Bible, what do you feel? Uh, When you hear the words, Holy Bible, what do you think? Uh, Many people today, and some people maybe even in this room this morning, when they hear the words, Holy Bible, they think, well, the Bible is some old, uh, archaic book with a failed explanation of how we all got here and everything, how everything's been created. Um, there's another group of people that they think, well, I believe the Bible. Uh, I know it's always one of the best-selling books every year, but they would say, I believe, though, that it was written by a primitive people uh, in a primitive time and is ultimately irrelevant in the modern world. There's another group of people uh, that they would say that, hey, the Bible's a good book. Uh, It's a good collection of stories, poems, wisdom, um, and and, and entirely human in origin, and you can find some good stuff in it that may encourage you or inspire you for your day-to-day living. And then there's this group, a group of people whose lives have been changed by the author of the Word and the Word itself. A group of people that would say that the words on the pages throughout this book are sacred scriptures, with the divine author himself overseeing the writing of this page, these pages like an intricate tapestry that's been unfolded, woven together, and unfolded out across time. Uh, No matter what group you may fall into this morning, I want us all to begin to see here today that what you see here, there is more than what meets the eye. 
There's more than what meets the eye. After all, scriptures tell us that we are saved by grace through faith. Uh, There's more than what meets the eye because the scriptures tell us in Hebrews chapter 11 that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Uh, Let me begin to show you how there's more than what meets the eye than just looking at this book right here. Let's go ahead and bring this image up on the screen this morning. Um, Before I kind of break this down to you, let me kind of tell you uh, what this image is from. This this image is a a cross-reference picture of the scriptures. Um, This image was created by a guy named Chris Harrison and another guy named Christopher Rumwald, uh, who who was a Lutheran pastor. Uh, This is a very fascinating picture to me. Some of you have seen this. Some of you are familiar with it. Um, But let me break it down for us. I want you to look at the image from the far left to the far right. The very far left is Genesis. And the very far right is the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible. The the white lines at the very bottom of the image are the various chapters of the Bible. Um, If we had a a larger image of this, a clearer image, you could see that there's one line at the bottom in the white lines that's the longest of them all, and that longest line of them all is actually Psalm 119. Um, If you look closely at the image, uh, you can see uh, various books of the Bible alternating between dark gray and the color white. As you begin to look upward through the image, you can see that there's these, uh, these colorful arcs. Uh, these colorful arcs are actually cross-references between different chapters of the Bible. Different chapters of the Bible. So if the text uh, in one chapter makes a connection to a text in another chapter, then you have an arc there between them. You have an arc there between them. Uh, the dark purple arcs, Uh, Those represent passages that are close in proximity to one another. That's why you see a lot of those over here on the far right, because of all of the connections in the New Testament writings. As you go up, you'll notice that the colors change, and the reason that they do is those simply represent the distance and time between the cross references. I don't know about you, but I find this image, this picture, to be really fascinating, I also find it to be very mysterious. I also find it to be a very beautiful picture of the harmony that is actually found throughout the Bible. And here's a few reasons why. All of these cross-references that are made over the course of 66 different books throughout the Scriptures, that would be an impressive work if just one person had written it. But let me show you some facts about this picture here this morning. This picture actually represents 63,779 cross-references. In that image alone, there were about 63,779 cross-reference arcs. That's wild. And here's what's wild about it. God divinely worked through 40 different authors over the span of 1,500 years across three different continents to bring about the divinely inspired sacred writings that are living and active right here in the pages of this book. And here's what's even more impressive about it all. 
when you study from Genesis 1 all the way through the end of the book of Revelation, all 40 authors were writing about the same thing. The stories may have been different. The poetry may have been different. The settings may have been different. The time may have been different. But the message was the same. And the message was all about and is about God's work to save people for his glory. It's a message all throughout the pages of Scripture about God's character as a holy, righteous judge. A message about God's grace towards sinners who constantly turn their backs on him, yet he continually cares for us, he's patient with us, and he has sent his son to save us. And folks, that is the truth. The Bible is unique, but the Bible is also truth. That takes us to our second point here this morning. The nature of the Bible, it's unique, but it's also truth. It's truth. What is truth? It's a question uh, that can be traced all the way back to the Garden of Eden when um, Satan himself attached or manifested himself in the form of the serpent. And what did he do? He slithers up next to Eve and he immediately questions the truth of God by causing Eve to doubt what God had said to her. It's one of his oldest tricks in the book to ask the question, what is truth? Fast forward thousands of years into the scriptures, and we come across this Roman governor by the name of Pontius Pilate. And in this passage of scripture we're about to read, we see Jesus standing trial before Pontius, before Jesus gets ready to go to the cross for your sins uh, and for mine. And look at this sort of dialogue that Pontius Pilate and Jesus have together in the book of John, John chapter 18, uh, verses 37 through 38. Pontius says to Jesus, he says, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the, help me out here, testify to the truth. He says, everyone on this side of truth listens to me. And look at what Pontius Pilate says. It's a question that we hear authority figures asking today, and we see it all throughout our culture. Pilate retorts back to Jesus, what is truth? We hear that question today, don't we? What is truth? And here's the sad part for Pontius Pilate. Had he been an honest seeker of truth, he would have found truth standing right in front of him. The night before Jesus stood in front of Pilate and stood trial, Jesus was having his final supper with his disciples. And Jesus prayed for his present disciples at the time and for his future disciples, you and I today, and look what he prayed in John 17, verse 17. He says, sanctify them, Father, by the truth. And look what he says, your word is truth. The Bible is truth. What is truth? Until the return of Christ, it will be a question that true seekers will wrestle with, and it will be a question that Satan will use to deter people from the real truth. 
But you and I know today, if you've been born again by the grace of Jesus Christ, our eyes have been opened spiritually to see that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are the truth, and the words that they have given us throughout the pages of this book are the truth, which takes us to the third thing this morning. Uh, Not only is the Bible unique in its nature, not only is it true in its nature, but the Bible is authoritative in nature. The Bible has authority. Now, you and I both know, and thankfully, uh, the Bible has the ability to inspire us. Uh, The Bible has the ability to encourage us. The Bible has the ability to lift us up. Uh, But God does not simply want to inspire us by his word. Uh, The word is not just a thing we go to every day for a pep talk. Uh, God desires that we would put ourselves under its authority as the very voice of God. And I want you to know here this morning, there are people, some even sitting here today, many of them out in, the, uh, in, in our community today and around the country and around the world that would say that the truths and the commands throughout the scripture are outdated. I want you to know today that the authority throughout this book right here is timeless. It is timeless. Uh, I want to give you an example of this. I want to take you to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, and I want you to see something that the Lord says to Moses. Uh, There are very many examples that I could use to prove this point here this morning, but in Exodus 20 verse 3, uh, God speaks with authority to Moses, and he speaks first to Moses so that Moses then could go and speak with the authority of the Lord back to the people of Israel. But he says here, he says, Moses, you and the people shall have no other gods before me. This is a command that God gives in the scriptures. It was given in the Old Testament. It is also supported in the New Testament. And it is equally relevant and authoritative and applicable to our lives today. Just like it was when God first spoke it 3,000 years ago to Moses. The problem you and I have today, and that so many other people have today, is that when we see those words, hear those words, and read those words, we just see them as ink on a page. Moses, on the other hand, he didn't first get those words by reading them in a book. He heard the very audible voice of God thunder from heaven to him saying, Moses, you and the people of Israel shall have no other gods before me. Fast forward to the New Testament, and the book of Hebrews tells us what Moses' response was on this occasion. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 21, tells us that when Moses heard the voice of God, the sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Why was that? Because the voice of God is authoritative. In other words, Moses was saying, I'm shaking in my boots. He's saying, at the voice of God, I surrender. At the voice of God, I bow down and I give my life under the authority of God. The scriptures are not outdated, my friends. I want you to see what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35. Uh, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words never pass away. They are timeless. They are just as 
relevant and applicable in 2024 as they were some 300 years ago and 3,000 years ago. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 89, the psalmist said, Lord, your word is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Number four, if you're taking notes this morning, is the Bible is also in nature very powerful. It's powerful. The Bible's powerful. It's unique. It is truth. It's authoritative. And it's powerful. Let me show you straight from the scriptures this morning just three different ways the Bible brings power to our lives and to the world around us. First of all, scripture is not the word of man, but of God. God works through men to pen the scriptures. But the fact that there's over 63,000 cross-references between 40 different authors who many didn't even know one another personally just goes to show that only the Holy Spirit of God could have brought that about. It's powerful. It is not the word of man, but of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 tells us that all Scripture is God-breathed. In other words, all Scripture is brought about by God. And it has a very powerful use in our lives. Useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Listen, God has made you for good works. Not good works so that you can earn your salvation, but good works as the result of your salvation. And he uses his word to equip you for the work that he has made you for. Uh, Scripture is powerful because it is also living and active. Uh, It has a nature to it. Uh, Look at uh, the, the Bible in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. The Bible says this about itself, that the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates uh, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It's powerful. It's also powerful because it's working to accomplish God's plans. It's working to accomplish God's plans. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 and 11 says this. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but look at this, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word is powerful in nature. Fifth and final point I want you to see this morning is that the Bible is sufficient. It's sufficient. Uh, It's powerful. It is authoritative. It is truth. It's unique but it's also sufficient. It's sufficient for me today, and it's sufficient for you today. It's sufficient for me tomorrow, and it's sufficient for you tomorrow. If we will simply open up the pages of Scripture for any amount of time whatsoever on a daily basis, God will meet us there, and he will speak to us, and he will use his word to give us exactly what we need for that day and in that season of our lives. It doesn't mean that every day you will have a huge aha moment. 
What it does mean is that you are allowing the Lord to till the soil of your soul. And in the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 11, the psalmist speaks of all the different ways that the Bible is sufficient to our lives. Would you follow along with me here, and then we're going to go into our time of invitation this morning. The psalmist says that the law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. The word of God is perfect, the psalmist says, for refreshing the soul. I wonder how many as you move into this new year need your soul refreshed. The word of God can do that. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making the wise, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. Thankful for the scriptures. Thankful for how God has given them to us over the span of 3,000 and something years, written over the span of three different continents by 40 different authors. They are God-breathed, and they are useful for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, for training us up in righteousness so that the man and woman of God may be equipped for every good work that God has made us for, saved us for, and called us to. Thanks again for visiting the Collective Church Podcast. We hope you found the message to be practical, inspiring, and biblical. And by the way, if you're interested in learning more about Collective Church, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you enjoyed the message, hit the subscribe button. And if you'd be willing to, hit share and help us spread the word about Collective Church.